This is a Source FM weekend news summary, sharing positive ideas and stories during the lockdown. Brought to you by the Source FM news team in association with Falmouth University Journalism. You're listening to Source FM, and I'm Molly Gray from Falmouth University Journalism. In this very uncertain time, it has been very humbling to watch everyone come together and support our frontline workers. So I've decided to take a look at all of the fundraising that you've been getting up to. So here are my top five. First up is local schoolgirl Sophie Mae Gibson, who took part in the Brave the Shave challenge yesterday on what was her 13th birthday. Sophie Mae shaved her head in order to raise money for Royal Cornwall Hospital, which is where her mother works. She said that raising money to help with supplies and people's treatment would have been the best birthday present of all. And you can watch her Brave the Shave via her YouTube channel or Facebook page at Sophie Mae Gibson. Or, to donate, visit her Just Giving page by going to justgiving.com and searching Sophie Mae. So next up, we have the Run for Heroes challenge. So I'm sure that quite a few of you have seen on Instagram that people have been running 5k and then donating £5. But what's it all about? 27-year-old Olivia Strong came up with the challenge by creating an Instagram account and nominating people to take part. They would then have to run 5k and then donate £5 to the NHS. Afterwards, they would nominate a further five people and the challenge grew from there. All proceeds go to the NHS Charities Together, which is the umbrella organisation for all charities supporting the NHS. Even some famous faces have got involved, including Ellie Golding, John Terry and Nick Grimshaw. So far, almost £2.3 million have been raised and there is a target of £3.5 million. You can donate by visiting virginmoneygiving.com forward slash runforheroes or via the website nhscharitiestogether.co.uk. Now, another story that has warmed the hearts of the nation is that of Captain Tom Moore, a 99-year-old army veteran who has so far raised over £12 million for the NHS. Mr Moore originally aimed to raise £1,000 by doing laps of his garden in Bedfordshire. He has to use a walking frame and wanted to do 100 laps of his garden before his 100th birthday on the 30th of April. Since completing the 100 laps, Captain Tom has said that he will continue to do more in order to continue fundraising. At the daily coronavirus briefing on Wednesday night, Health Secretary Matt Hancock had this message for Captain Tom. And I want to pay a special tribute today to Captain Tom Moore, who at the age of 99 has raised over £7 million so far for NHS charities by completing 100 laps of his garden. Captain Tom, you're an inspiration to us all, and we thank you. You can donate via his Just Giving page at www.justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash Tom's Walk for the NHS. Now, another local idea is the hashtag Kind Coffee Appeal. Royal Cornwall Hospital's charity have launched a campaign to allow people to buy a coffee for the NHS staff in the most affected areas of the hospital. Donations will be converted into coffee tokens and one cup of coffee costs £2. To donate and buy a coffee, go to virginmoneygiving.com forward slash fund forward slash kind coffee or go to the Royal Cornwall Hospital webpage and search kind coffee where you can donate by scanning the QR code. And lastly, I'm sure you're all familiar with the Clap for Our Carers, in which the nation joins in a round of applause every Thursday evening at 8pm in order to show our appreciation for our healthcare staff.
this, the hashtag One Million Claps Appeal was set up by the NHS charities together. The appeal hopes to inspire people to send a virtual clap with a message of support and a £5 donation. To do this, all you need to do is text the word CLAP along with your message to 70507 and this will donate £5 to the NHS. And that's it for the top five fundraisers. Well done to all who have taken part in fundraising activities. Keep up the good work everyone and stay safe. I've been Molly Gray. Stay tuned for more coronavirus news from Source FM. You're listening to Source FM and I'm Karolina Bohacheva from Falmouth University Journalism. Last week, a sewing group Cornwall Scrubs was created to help GPs, care workers and NHS staff. Annie Lucas, who coordinates the group, was seeking people to help. We are looking for people who can sew um, and assemble garments, a, a kind of reasonable level of dressmaking skill. But we're also looking for people that can help, if they can't help with sewing, who can help with pre-washing of fabric or distribution of sewing patterns or collecting or delivering of fabric to people um, or distribution of uh, scrubs to the relevant people that have requested them. Since then, the group has gained more than a thousand members and raised over £3,000 in a crowdfunding campaign. All sewers are now divided into regional teams to make the production quicker and more organised. Fiona Slaney, sewing and patchwork enthusiast, is now one of the team leaders for PA and San Ostel area. So Fiona, what responsibilities do you have as a team leader? So basically, me being the team leader... I'm the one that I will liaise with Rosie so she hasn't got so many people getting in touch with her and then organising, delivering out the packs of scrubs to be made and then picking them up and taking them to Penryn and making sure everybody's got threads, everything that they need. And if they've got a problem or a query with how it's being sewn or, you know, which stitch to use or how to put it together, how to you know, cut the pattern out, etc. then that's what I'm here for. So at the moment, I've, in front of me, I've actually got masks that I'm making for Cornwall cloth masks as well, because um, I'm still waiting for my pattern to arrive from the printers. So once that arrives, I can get on the go with the scrub. But um, it's a long process because you, you get the fabric and then you have to wash it. That has to be washed at 60 degrees. And then obviously, hopefully, get it air dry. That's the better way to dry it. Then you've then got to iron it on the hottest setting. And then it then has to be cut out and then sewn. But you've just got to keep everything as clean and as germ-free as possible. Well, at least the weather has been acting in your favour to be able to air dry your fabric. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant to have. And also it's nice for everybody else, isn't it? Even though we're sitting indoors, we can have our windows open and our doors open and it feels like we're outside, so it's not too there. But it just keeps you busy. There's not a lot else you can do, you know. So I can't sit and do nothing, so I'd have to find something to do. And this is more worthwhile than maybe just making a dress or something for myself. It's just helping out a really good cause. But this would be a long, I think we'll be doing this for quite a while. So would you say sewing had a positive impact on your mental health? 
Oh, for definite, for absolutely definite. It's a great community. It, you know, we never spoke to these people before. We're conversing, like, on FaceTime and we're conversing, you know, on WhatsApp and Messenger and stuff. And all of a sudden, there's a massive group of other people out there that you would never have met, you know, if you hadn't joined the group and, and all helping out. At least we can do it from the safety of our own home to allow those, as long as, you know, we're able to give them more protective clothing that just makes their life a lot easier, that it's, it's just it makes us happy, makes me happy. Many others have started sewing individually, helping their families and friends. Sue Willis is one of them. I've been making face masks using all my own materials that I've stashed over the years. It's gone from giving face masks to people who just want to go out shopping to supplying care workers, care in the community workers, vulnerable people. Um, and the NHS. I know there is a group in farmers called um, Formal Cloth Mass, which has just started up, so they're doing amazing things as well now. If anybody wanted to help out, they could always join the Facebook page, which is Cornwall Cloth Masks, and um, they can get all the information from there and a pattern to download as well. Supplies are a bit thin on the ground at the moment because everybody's trying to order fabrics and elastic and stuff. So if anybody's got elastic that they don't need or cotton bed sheets, nice clean cotton bed sheets that they don't need, then contributions of fabric would be amazing at the moment. How has the experience been for you? There's four of us doing it at the moment over here. And actually one, one lady that's helping us do them her, her husband's funerals today and he actually died of oh, the virus dear. two weeks ago. It kind of brought it all close to home because he was, he was an amazing man and we knew him really well. So that kind of hit us really hard. That was almost the inspiration then to make us go out and do it on a grand scale, not just making three or four for the postman, which we have done. We've supplied postmen with um, masks as well. So we've um, supplied the general store in our village, the butchers and the other little shop in the village. We've given them all masks. It, it makes us feel like we're giving something back. We, we, I understand how difficult it is for people over at the hospitals at the moment and for people that are caring in the community because they are lacking in PPE. Sue researched the use of PPE in the face masks when she sewed protection for her friends in Italy. Could you specify the PPE requirements for sewing masks, please? I'm making a 100% cotton mask, so there's two layers of 100% cotton, and in the middle there's um, a layer of heat-blown non-woven fabric, which is good at cutting pathogens down. I sew these filters in so the whole thing's completely washable, but you can put a removable filter in it if you wanted to, so you could just take the filter out and throw it away. If you'd like to help Sue, Fiona and hundreds of others with sewing masks and scraps, please register your interest with Cornwall Scrubs Facebook group and Cornwall Cloth Masks group. And don't forget to stay tuned for more coronavirus good news stories from Source FM. You're listening to Source FM and I'm Kira Taylor from Falmouth University Journalism. This weekend, the music won't so much be in our minds as in our living rooms. 
Phantom of the Opera will be live on YouTube for 24 hours from today at 7pm as part of Andrew Lloyd Webber's The Shows Must Go On. Over the past few weeks, he has been working to bring theatre to people's homes during the lockdown. People around the UK have already been able to enjoy Jesus Christ Superstar and Joseph as they streamed over two days. The showing of Phantom of the Opera was originally recorded in 2011 for its 25th anniversary, but it will only be up for one day, so all we ask of you is that you don't miss it. And... <laughs> Hamilton has also invited people to be in the room where it happens, as the original cast came together to perform the opening number of the show. How does a bastard, orphan, son of a whore and a Scotsman dropped in the middle of a forgotten spot in the Caribbean by providence impoverished and squalor grow up to be a hero and a scholar? John Krasinski reunited the original cast to surprise a young fan on his show, Some Good News. While the whole musical isn't due to be shown until Disney releases it in 2021, fans can enjoy seeing the founding fathers and mothers of Hamilton on screen. And for any Lin-Manuel Miranda fans, full performances of In the Heights, his first musical, are on YouTube. For those who prefer their theatre without music, plays are beginning to lift their curtains online. The National Theatre has taken to YouTube with plays including Jane Eyre and Treasure Island, which premiered at 7pm last night. Both are showing in their entirety from the comfort of your lockdown sofa. Classical Music 2 is conducting itself online. Today, on the 250th anniversary of Beethoven's birth, Young people from around the UK will take part in an ode to joy. The National Youth Orchestra are asking musicians across the UK to perform live from their doorsteps at 5pm, led by the 164-strong orchestra. Let the dream begin, let your darker side give in to the power of the music that I write. The Power of the music of the night. So, there's music of the night, day, and pretty much any other hour of the lockdown. Get online and start searching for it. Phantom of the Opera will be live from 7pm tonight. Just search The Shows Must Go On on YouTube. I'm Kira Taylor from Falmouth University Journalism. Keep listening for more coronavirus news stories from Source FM. This is the Source News Show, sharing positive ideas in the lockdown. You're listening to Source FM, and I'm Maxine Denton from Falmouth University Journalism. As the UK was put into lockdown, This meant that alongside the closure of businesses, a lot of animal sanctuaries had to close to visitors as well, like the Flickr Foundation Donkey Sanctuary in Penryn. As a charity, the sanctuary relies heavily on donations from visitors, and without it, they are struggling to fund food and veterinary medicine for the donkeys. 
Claire Turnbull, who works at the Donkey Sanctuary, joins me now to explain the ways in which you can make a donation to help them. So how are you encouraging people to make donations to the sanctuary? So, yeah, we obviously had to close our gates almost four weeks ago now. Um, and we rely really heavily on visitors for donations and also spending money in our gift shop and tea room um, to essentially feed and care for our residents. Um, and that's obviously all stopped now. Um, we've got over 100 residents, donkeys and horses at our sanctuary at the moment, and it costs around £2,000 a month to feed them. Um, and we spend around another 1500 just on essential medications and veterinary care. Another thing that's quite worrying is that actually a lot of the grant funding has stopped and we rely on trust funds and grant funding for a lot of our bigger projects and some of our sort of um, ongoing core costs as well. Um, but because people can't meet, um, you know, these sort of the, the grant decision meetings have been postponed or cancelled and planning permission meetings have been cancelled. So it really is having a massive impact on what we do. Um, we are asking people to donate if they possibly can um, through our website, which is www.flickerfoundation.org.uk slash donate. Um, and we're also looking at other things like we can encourage people to um, perhaps take sponsored events at home. You know, whilst they're in lockdown, we can still do things in our houses and get friends and family to sponsor us. So that's something we're looking at next. So how have you used social media to encourage people to donate? Have you held any events online? At the moment, we're trying to do extra on social media. So we're running little competitions. Um, we ran a competition last week where people could vote for which donkey they wanted to see um, let loose around the yard causing mischief. And we're actually filming that today. So I think it's Humphrey and Paddington and their friend Bunny are going to be let out and film to see what sort of hilarity ensues there. Oh, that sounds like a lovely idea. And I bet the donkeys love that as well. They will, yeah, definitely. And it's about keeping spirits up as well. You know, we really, really appreciate the support we get from people. And if we can, you know, give a smile or, or share something nice from, from what's going on at the sanctuary, then that's important to us as well. Yeah, definitely. So can people still see the donkeys virtually? Do you do any updates on your social media of how they're doing? Yeah, so you, people can still visit our donkeys virtually. Um, we post regular updates on all our resident donkeys, as well as new rescue stories and, and you know, what else is going on with our charitable work on Facebook, um, which is Facebook, uh, the Flickr Foundation. That's our charity name. And um, we do also have Twitter and Instagram feed, which is at Flickr Donkeys on, on both of those. We've got our Adopt a Donkey scheme as well, which where people can adopt a donkey for as little as £3 a month. Um, and then they receive a um, special adopters pack with a certificate and the story and the photograph of the donkey and our newsletter and other things in there. And that's a nice way to make a connection with one of our um, residents as well without actually being able to visit because you do receive updates on them and things like that. And that's a really big fundraiser for us as well. So I think another important question is how are the donkeys actually doing at this time? The donkeys are absolutely fine. Um, they are blissfully unaware of the, of the ongoing crisis worldwide um, and they're very happy because they've recently been let back out into their paddocks. Uh, they can't go in their winter because it's too wet and cold. Um, that's not good for them. But now the fine weather's here, they're, they're really enjoying it. And yeah, we do have a very, very limited um, sort of skeleton staff on at the moment because of obviously what's going on, um, but then they're working very hard to make sure the donkeys still get absolutely everything they need. That's Claire Turnbull from the Flickr Foundation Donkey Sanctuary. And if you want to make a donation, you can do it on their website www.flickerfoundation.org.uk forward slash donate or visit their Facebook page. I'm Maxine Denton.
Stay tuned for more coronavirus stories from Source FM. You're listening to Source FM and I'm Kira Taylor from Falmouth University Journalism. As the government announces the lockdown will continue for another three weeks, I spoke to Sherilyn McCrory, the MP for Truro and Falmouth, about how it has changed her life in politics and about her life during the lockdown. Sherilyn returned to Cornwall after Parliament went into recess early for the Easter break. She's waiting to hear how Parliament will be conducted when it starts again next week. The COVID-19 pandemic began in the UK around the same time as she reached her first 100 days as an MP and it has been a quick adjustment for her. Well, I think it's been a baptism of fire, if I'm honest. <laughs> it's uh, it's um, certainly something that um, you you get thrown in at the deep end, and, and you, the casework that we're getting is um, very genuine. People whose businesses and livelihoods are in jeopardy, and what can we do to help? Um, and we've been, I think we've dealt with um, probably about four to 500 ca- bits of casework in the last sort of three weeks or so. So you can see the volume there from just that trip, people who live in Toronto and Falmouth who've needed my help. Suddenly the, everybody's priorities have had to change. So um, I was elected to um, take forward uh, an agenda of, you know, leaving the European Union and I had big environmental credentials. We were going to do lots of work on plastic-free stuff. Uh, and all of that I'm really keen to continue. Um, but obviously uh, with with COVID coming in so swiftly, um, everybody's priorities have had to change. We've suddenly had to, um, the Chancellor has had to release uh, unprecedented amounts of money into the, into the economy to try and keep the economy going. So we've got some kind of economy to go back to when this all goes. Um, and the m- number one priority is just making sure that um, we, can, we can save as many lives as possible. And that's not just people going into the hospitals and making sure we've got the capacity to do it. It's also making sure we're out in the community and the volunteer groups are out in the community and we're making sure that nobody's left alone uh, and that everybody has access to the help that they need. One of the main concerns for an MP is how to serve their constituency best, but that has become infinitely more complex during the lockdown. The difficulty I've had is when I came back from Westminster, I was because I'd been in London, I was told to self-isolate um, and so I wasn't allowed to. And I think um, I'm keen to get out uh, on the ground and um, go out and volunteer Cornwall and to go out with the police and all the rest of it. But I've seen that countries, some of my colleagues, have done things and then they've been um, vilified, if you like, because we're supposed to be leading by example and staying at home. So it's a really tricky line to um, take. So what we have been doing in my office is absolutely signposting. We've um, had really close contacts with all the parish councils and all the volunteer groups that we um, can think of. And if any more haven't heard from me, then please come and get in touch. We are sending a leaflet to um, hopefully we'll hit every single house in the constituency over the next seven days. Um, because I was really um, conscious of the fact that, you know, the vast majority of um, people who are in the vulnerable category aren't really on social media and, and won't really be seeing what's going on. One way in which Sherilyn is tackling the crisis is holding the Treasury to account on financial packages introduced early in the lockdown to help businesses. It's trying to make sure that everybody, uh, that nobody is left behind. And I think that's what we're finding very difficult at the moment, because even though the vast majority of people have been helped, there are people who are struggling. And that's, and, and I'm really keen to make sure that nobody is left behind. So it's, it's identifying those nuances and making sure that um, we can do something for everybody as much as possible. There have been some issues with these packages, including employers not yet being able to access the funds for furthering staff and self-employed not being able to receive the money they're entitled to until the end of June. Sherilyn says it's good for MPs to work together to spot the issues in their community and bring them to the Treasury. 
it's up to me to put pressure on Treasury and the other and the other government departments, and we do that daily. Um, and I also uh, need to um, we, I, I liaise with colleagues of mine uh, around the country so we can see trends that are happening. Because we in Cornwall, obviously, we were coastal communities, we we are rural communities, and they have lots in common with other parts of the country as well. And if we can see parts um, trends that are uh, occurring, then it obviously it's um, more effective to hunt as a pack, if you like. So we can. And more, many voices are, are louder, and we can get Treasury to 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 change. And I'll give you an example of that. The um, the business interruption loans um, haven't didn't work the way that we wanted them to to begin with. And and all of my colleagues, and we all got together, and the banks weren't playing ball. And now the um, Treasury are managing to to do something about that. For her, it's amazing to see the community come together at this time. I think we are finding that people are looking um, out for their neighbours. More, much more than they ever have, and I heard somebody um, locally say, if everybody looked to um, looked after the person to the left of them, to the right of them, and in front of them, so on, on either side of their house and off, on across the road, then we would know that everybody was being looked after. And I thought that was such a lovely sentiment. Um, I've been really moved by the um, clap for care, clap for carers that's been happening on a Thursday evening, um, and I just think that while everybody's sort of um, isolated at home it's really important that we have that sense of community and I really, really hope that we don't lose that once we um, once we come out of this. She said her office is signposting people to get the right help. Well, the council have got some really good um, lines set up um, um, which are being really helpful as well. If people aren't sure, they can always contact me. My, um, I'll give you my phone number, which is 0207 219 3713. Um, and the reason that's still a Westminster number, frustratingly, is we got the keys to our Truro office the weekend of the lockdown. So we've got an office, lovely, very excited, but we can't actually use it at the moment until we, we come out of this. So um, so it's still my Westminster number, which is being diverted and, and picking up things there. And obviously I have a, an email address as well, which is sherilyn.mcorry.mp at parliament.uk. And as I say, we've, um, people are finding me and they are managing to get that help and we can signpost them to the, to the right places. Uh, and everybody gets a, 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 um, a dedicated response. It's not just an automated response. We're reading every single piece of uh, correspondence that comes in and we're helping people individually. Thanks to Sherilyn McCroy for talking to me. If you need to contact her, her number is 0207 219 3713 and her email is sherilyn.mcroy.mp at parliament.co.uk. Keep listening for the other half of our interview in the next couple of days. I'm Kira Taylor from Falmouth University Journalism. Stay tuned for more coronavirus stories from Source FM. It just so happens that this period of enforced isolation coincides with the great British tradition of spring cleaning. But is it quite so British? In English, the term spring clean dates to around 1855 to 1860, but the act of spring cleaning began far back in the distant past. It's a cultural tradition with advocates all over the world. I guess it's a period of the year where with spring there's a fresh start, a new beginning, new birth, refreshing things. And there are certainly references in religion about starting afresh. There are some roots in Hebrew, in Iran, and even China takes claim that the act of cleaning, metaphorical or otherwise, is the start of a new year. For this little radio feature, I'm going to stick to the term spring cleaning as meaning the process that involves thorough or deep cleaning of a place, such as a house or a room. 
So, if we really do run out of things to do on the PS4, then why not consider a spring clean? I mean, we're stuck in these rooms, so what else is there to do? However, before you start inspecting the stains on the cutlery, pulling out the sofa, inspecting those lime-scaled tiles, prepping up the hoover bag, or checking the coffee rings on the furniture, it's probably worth just checking out what you've got left under the kitchen sink to address these tasks. If we're following the strict rules of staying at home, the chances are we may not have too many materials left. But hey, maybe that's a good thing. In these environmentally aware times, maybe it's a blessing that we can't get out to buy all those nasty chemicals that we usually put down our sinks and toilets and on our floors and in the air around us. This got me thinking about the things that we might have to hand and kind of those old wives' tales about things that were really effective historically in cleaning our surroundings and the objects that we have in the house. So, over the next few days, I'm going to give you a couple of tips a day that will hopefully help you tidy up the house, clean things down, not spend a great deal of money, and save the planet at the same time. It sounds like a pretty constructive use of our time whilst the government are still insisting that we stay home. And that's a clear message as well. So here's a few traditional tips to keep you at home and get the spring cleaning done. So tip number one involves potatoes. And if you've got any rusting items in the kitchen or around in the bathroom, well, head to the pantry and not the hardware store. Pick up a potato and table salt. Believe it or not, this cleaning trick is actually backed up by a healthy dose of science. The salt acts as a mild abrasive, whilst the oxalic acid in the humble spud helps dissolve rust. How do you do it? Well, slice your spud in half and generously coat the cut part in salt. Scrub away until all the rust disappears. Then give those rusty items a thorough rinse through, dry them off and pop them back in the cupboard. Rusty items saved, planet saved, money saved. Tip number two involves walnuts, so maybe you've got some left over from Christmas hidden around somewhere, or maybe you're lucky enough to have a tree in the garden. Well, you can repair minor scratches in woodwork with walnuts. How do you do it? Shell the fresh walnut and simply rub over the blemish. Place your finger on the mark, this will warm the oil and help it soak in. After about five minutes, just buff the area with a soft cloth and hey presto, the mark should go. Woodwork saved, planet saved, money saved. So tune in again tomorrow for the next couple of tips that we've got for you. And remember, this is about using produce you've already got in the house for a fantastic spring clean whilst you stay home and save lives. This was Ivor Richards from Falmouth Journalism for Source FM. Stay tuned for some more positive coronavirus stories. This is the Source News Show, sharing positive ideas in the lockdown. You're listening to Source FM and I'm Phoebe Taylor from Falmouth University Journalism. Stephen Jarvis from St Austell had a kidney transplant in 2004 on the NHS. To pass the time inside, he ran 26.1 miles on his stairs. I spoke to Stephen to find out why he ran a marathon indoors. Hello, all right? Hi, how are you? Yeah, good, thank you. So why did you run 26.2 miles on your stairs? Um, I've had a kidney transplant, so I'm not allowed out. And um, obviously I'm in lockdown for 12 weeks, um, so I'm not allowed out Um, So I haven't really got anywhere else to run. Um, and I was in the process of building up for an ultra in February because 
Uh, I promised my wife I, we would do an ultra together for our 25th wedding anniversary. I decided to uh, start on the stairs, uh, 5k, 10k, and then half, and I thought, sort it, I'm going to try and do a marathon on it. Um, how long did it take you? Five hours and four minutes. Are you going to be completing the London Marathon at any point? No, um, not not in not as such. Um, what I'm looking to do there's a race called the Arc Fifty um, in February, which is a fifty mile cliff race from uh, Lands End to pretty much up to around St Agnes area. Um, so it's a tough, it's a really tough race. It's in the obviously in the winter. It's in February, so it's going to be hard weather, hard terrain. So the plan was that long term um i never really thought of doing a marathon before to be honest here, until um building up for this i know i had to do one we were talking about doing one like in preparation for it at, later on in the year it's sort of like august september october time but um it's uh yeah it's sort of building up for that really that's what i'm building up for um did you do this um, for a charity yeah i did it for the royal Cornwall hospital trust how much money did you raise uh so far, I've raised about five hundred pounds. Do you think yeah. you've inspired other people to do the same? <laughs> I think a lot of people think I'm mad. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they want to do the same. Um, um, I think a lot of people sort of think, "Oh, that sounds painful." But it passed the time for you, didn't it? Whilst we were stuck in isolation. Yeah, well, I had to do something, and I wanted. To, I was obviously I'm sat at home. I'm trying to keep fit as well. Trying to keep my training up. Yeah. I can't go out for runs. My garden's quite small anyway, so I can't. There's hardly any room in my garden to run at all. So apart from circuit training, weight training, which I, I can do in my dining area, um, I've got a staircase. Yes. So I thought I'd make the most of it. Yeah, that's right, no problem thank at all. Thank you, stay safe. Yeah, cheers, thank, thank you. Thank you, bye. bye. That's Stephen Jarvis, who ran a marathon on his stairs. I'm Phoebe Taylor. Stay tuned for more coronavirus good news stories from Source FM. If you'd like to contribute your story or thoughts to be broadcast on the radio, you can now record or upload messages via our website. To do so, please visit www.thesourcefm.co.uk forward slash connect. Source FM, helping our community stay connected. You're listening to Source FM, and I'm Kira Taylor from Falmouth University Journalism. Like the rest of the country, Falmouth is adjusting to life under lockdown. Sherilyn McCrory, the Truro and Falmouth MP, talked to Source FM about how she is adjusting. She lives in Roseland with her husband, daughter and dog. In the last half of our interview, she talked about how she had to self-isolate for two weeks after returning from London and was working to make sure that the financial packages from the Treasury were helping the people who needed them. In the second half of our interview, she talked more about how the lockdown has changed her life, including the daily walks she takes. We're very lucky because we live near some woods, so we are going through those woods uh, a lot. I've got a dog and a small child, so we're very, very lucky that we we get to go through the woods. I'm really conscious that not everybody has that, uh, and, and, you know, we're very grateful every day that we get to do that. And we've got... um, a camera trap so that's our thing that we're doing with my little girl at the moment we're sort of setting a camera trap up in the woods every day seeing what we can find <laughs> go back and get it every day both Sherilyn and her husband are key workers so can send their five-year-old daughter to school however they alternate being at home and looking after her yeah we are seen as key workers and my husband's a fisherman so potentially we could both be out and working 
and she could be in school, but um, I'm keen that I don't want to take that resource away from other people and we can manage between the two of us at home. So my husband is only out sort of once a week at the moment and then I'm working here, but between the two of us we can sit and do a couple of hours with her. She's only five, so she's in reception. So we're managing to do some phonics and we're managing to do some maths and this morning we were planting seeds because that's what the teachers asked us to do this term, plant some seeds to watch them grow. So it's it's um, easier than I think a, a, an older child might be, but um, we're, it, we're certainly making sure that she, she that she gets that schooling as well as much as we can. I've been speaking to friends and family who are in the same boat, and it is just trying to get through it really. Um, I think with smaller children, as long as they um, get a couple of hours a, a day of the schooling, then you know we don't need to sit there and do it all day. But just most people are understanding. Uh, most employers have been really understanding. You know, when you're on a, a video call and she appears in the background, most people are actually understanding. Cheryl then also talk more about some of the good things that the lockdown is bringing. From my point of view, I'm, I'm really interested in how um, uh, nature is responding to this. So um, we're finding that, um, uh, that the wildlife is actually starting to come back. Where it ha- and it's only been a few weeks, got to remember that, when humans aren't around. We're suddenly finding that the wildlife and the environment is starting to improve again. Um, we're also finding that... Um, you know, I think for me locally, there's been uh, elderly people who have beaten COVID, uh, and that's really reassuring as well. Um, and and I think for me as well, personally, the the way that the hospital at Trelisk has prepared has been absolutely phenomenal. They are, uh, you know, it's the calm before the storm at the moment still, and and the work that they've put in to make sure that that happens is is brilliant. And actually, a really important message I'm trying to get out at the moment is I'm very worried that people aren't um, going to hospital when they really need to. So we're not seeing any heart attacks, we're not seeing any strokes, for example, and surely they must still be happening. And I'm really keen that people do still go to hospital if they need it. It's a really important message to get out this week. She wants to encourage people that Trillisk Hospital is prepared for COVID-19 and that people should still go to the hospital and the doctors if they need treatment. I think there's two things people are worried about. They're worried about um, catching COVID, which won't happen because you're, you know, COVID patients are isolated on different wards. Um, but also, I think, um, and certainly it's a, a generational thing, people are worried about burdening NHS workers at the moment, and they really mustn't worry about that. If you need help from a hospital, you must, must get it. I'm worried that people aren't coming forward with potential cancer cancer symptoms, um, and so, you know, we're not going to see those early diagnoses, which we, is absolutely vital when, when we're dealing with cancer. So absolutely urge people to still, as normal, get the... Um, get the medical attention that they think they need. She finished by thanking everyone for staying inside. People are doing so well. I'm so thankful for the work that everybody's putting in and that's going from care workers to to um, everybody, everybody who's staying at home. It's so important. That was Cheryl McCrory, the local MP, talking exclusively to Source FM about how she is coping with the lockdown and how the community is continuing through the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm Kira Taylor from Falmouth University Journalism. Stay tuned for more coronavirus stories from Source FM. You are listening to Source FM and I'm Izzy Compton from Falmouth University Journalism. As we enter the fourth week of lockdown measures, PPE shortages continue to affect healthcare professionals and NHS staff. However, county-wide efforts to produce PPE in response to these shortages are increasing, manufacturing processes are improving and people continue to stay strong and united in light of the pandemic. 
One of these efforts is called CoVisor. It's a crowdfunded project aiming at speeding up the mass production of hygienic safety visors for healthcare workers. Designer Francis Dufour, engineer and designer Sam Lanyon, and engineer, inventor and YouTuber Sean Brown have collaborated to make CoVisor happen. Sam Lanyon joins me now to explain the processes behind the visors. Sam, hello. Tell me a bit about CoVisor. Well, we started off, I suppose, like everybody else, 3D printing some visors or face shields. And, um, yeah, we had a request through from Louis Turner from 3D Kerno as he was safely isolated away and his printers live here with us uh, from a from a GP saying, oh, can you print us some face shields, please? And uh, so he printed some out and that was OK, but it was pretty slow and took a long time and you couldn't sort of get near the amount that were required. So um, Louis suggested getting in touch with um, Francis Dufour over in Wadebridge, who is legendary uh, legendary guy that runs a, a design company. And uh, he got straight to it and started tooling up for injection molding. Injection molding is basically a mass manufacturing tool. It's how all your little bits of plastic and big bits of plastic as well, everything is made in that way which means you can churn out you know, thousands a day rather than taking several hours to make one unit. Um, so there's a bit of leading time. You have to machine, basically make moulds, machine moulds out of metal, and then the plastics heated up and squirted in there, and then it pops out of the mould. It took us, took us a week to sort of get up and running, and then we were able to sort of churn them out uh, at sensible volumes. So how much faster is the injection moulding compared to the 3D printing you were using before? The, the 3D printed ones were originally taking sort of four hours to print one and then there was an, uh, the file was optimised and you could do that in perhaps an hour and a half. Whereas uh, with the injection moulding, we sort of started off at the six to 800 a day. Our plan was to get to uh, sort of over two, maybe two and a half thousand by the end of the week that we're in now. We've actually changed changed our design a bit at the moment to try and make the product better and that has slowed us down because as you change the design, you've got to redo the tooling and things. Mm-hmm. So yes, we're, we're only making hundreds a day still, which is really frustrating, but it's still a lot compared to if we were, if we were running some 3D printers and doing that. That's Sam Lanyon from CoVisor, explaining the processes behind the face shields protecting our key workers. Find out more about the project and donate at www.crowdfunder.co.uk forward slash CoVisor. Stay tuned for more stories about how the community is helping keep our essential workers safe from Source FM. This is the Source News Show, sharing positive ideas in the lockdown. Greetings, you're listening to Source FM, and I'm Mitchell Cattleback from Falmouth University's Journalism. In these times of lockdown and travel restrictions, many people are turning to the flavors in their kitchen cupboard to experience tastes from abroad. One local restaurant from Penryn that goes by the name of Daku is taking to social media in an effort to bring authentic Indian cuisine into your home using local ingredients. My name is Ben and I am a co-partner and founder of Daku Indian Restaurant. Um, we 
are situated uh, on the Key Islington Wharf in uh, Penryn. Lovely. So it is. It's Daku, not Deku. That's was... Daku. Daku is a, um, a phrase for a bandit. So it's so basically an, an Indian phrase for a sort of romantic kind of cowboy figure. Bandit. Glad we got that cleared up. So, um, Ben, what gave you the idea to um, start doing these online tutorials that you know? Well, I think the biggest issue for us is obviously we're very much a face-to-face business. We've always been uh, people who uh, really are always present in the business as it's running. We're not, we're not sort of arm's length to us. So when we are unable to reach our customers and, and have that interaction, we, we just sort of thought, well, how can we adapt to ensure that you know, we, we can still get that connection because it's all about building those long-term relationships for us um, in terms of our uh, our business. So that's that's what we're after. Yeah. So it wasn't like some sort of euphoric moment or... <laughs> it was, uh, it, yeah, maybe it's uh, lockdown pressure. I don't know. I'm sure after all of this, there's going to be some kind of new um, uh, uh, mental health issue diagnosed. Uh, but, but for us, yeah, it's all... So, you know... The only downside of it is probably the waistline because, you know, whereas before we would be selling it to uh, everyone else, we have to end up uh, eating it all. So it's a real, you know, it's a real... It's well, a real that, that does sound like a downside. I'm, I'm suffering for my art, you know. <laughs> have, have these um, home tutorials sort of helped you to consolidate your recipes? Because I know a lot of cooking can be off the cuff sometimes. Yeah, actually, it's a good thing you say that because, you know, we've, we've been... Uh, operating now for a couple of years and a lot of people have said oh when are you going to do a book and actually this is helping us maybe to refine uh, and gauge what the kind of popular recipes are and what people want to see from us so yeah it's helping to do that and we don't necessarily write down recipes it's a lot about instinct and feel and and just knowing what works and and tweaking things as you go along so this also helps us to sort of think well okay what was it exactly that worked about that and what do we need to change and what do we need to keep the same yeah yeah, I hear that. I've been known to cook myself, so that sort of really clicks with me. Where I'm just—I call it cowboy cooking. Really, I just figure it out. And that's it. That's it. Yeah, shoot from the hip. It's a really good thing to be able to do. You know, um, cooking ultimately is all about instinct. I think. Now, I've been—I've um, been using a lot of asafoetida in my curries lately. Do you have any uh, um, sort of pro tips about that? Yeah, it's one of those things. It's a, it's a really interesting spice. It's um, very, very complicated to explain the flavour of it. Um, but the profile is kind of something a bit like um, egg yolks, but also a bit like very well browned ginger or very well browned garlic and onions. Yeah. And in and in India they use it a lot um, in replacement for garlic and onions. Some uh, particular um, uh, very religious uh, Hindus don't actually eat garlic and onions. They believe that they're, you know, they're, they're impure for the body. Yeah. What they use is the asafoetida instead. Um, and uh, the best I way think to... I went a bit overboard with it the other day. And... <laughs> yeah, well, what, the only thing that happens when you go overboard with it is that you end up smelling of it for about three days. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's got quite the aroma, doesn't it? Now, um, what's next for you guys then? You mentioned a cookbook. Are you going to keep doing the tutorials and work into that? or? Yeah, I think it's been a real eye-opener for us um, about the tutorials. Of course, we've always known and sharing videos and giving people a bit of um, insight into our into our lives and stuff. But, um, you know, it's really uh, impressed upon us that maybe we should do that a bit more extensively. So definitely more videos, more writing. Um, uh, hoping really to have some kind of um, large uh, relaunch after all of this COVID-19 stuff dies down, Indian-themed 
a bit extravagant, extravagant kind of party, really, just to bring our customers and welcome them back through the door, really. Um, so, yeah, we'll be we're doing things like that. Excellent. Well, I think that's all um, I have time for today. But uh, would you like to give a quick shout out to the community? Something? I would love to do that. Thanks everyone for continuing to support us and watch our videos online. Thanks very much for coming uh, to uh, visit us uh, when you can. Um, I really hope to see you again. And you know, just just keep keep strong and enjoy yourself. Cheers. And there you have it. That was Ben of Daku Restaurant. D A A. KU. You can find them on Facebook for their tutorials that they're uploading weekly. This has been another episode of Positive Pandemic News Stories by Mitchell for Source FM. and I'm Kara Taylor from Falmouth University Journalism. If you're looking to escape the lockdown, virtually at least, Peterstown Library in America has come up with a solution. They've created an online escape room and it's Harry Potter themed. Sydney Crack, a part-time youth services librarian from Pennsylvania, America, has designed a Hogwarts-based escape room to keep fans of all ages entertained during the lockdown. She's designed three escape rooms for her library, the last of these, a superhero villain themed one, had to be cancelled due to social distancing measures. So they moved online. And I thought back to when I was teaching. I taught special education for five years um, before I moved and came to the public library world. And when I was a teacher, we used Google Classrooms a lot and um, Google Quizzes. And in a training, they actually had us create our own quote unquote escape rooms. Um, around themed around algebra which was not as exciting as harry potter so my first uh, digital escape room was an algebra themed one that wasn't fun for the kids or myself thinking back but um i thought back to that stuff and i was like it would be easy to do this and create one for um the harry potter stuff so i went back to some of the puzzles i had used previously the escape room has had nearly three hundred thousand responses from people all around the world and currently working with uh a teacher in Canada, a teacher in Croatia, a teacher in, or a librarian in um, Spain, and a teacher in Italy um, to do translations of the escape room to make them available um, to people in their native languages. So that's been my focus right now is uh, working with them and trying to, you know, format, reformat the puzzles. That way it is accessible to more people around the world. For Sydney, it's important to keep people connected. Children and grown-ups can play it together. It's so hard for for everyone right now. We feel so apart um, with the social distancing, which is very important, but it's great for us to still feel connected um, with each other in a virtual space and with uh, texts and things that help us, you know, bring us out of, you know, a place we might be in right now and take us to something more positive. There was a family, it was their, supposed to be their daughter's birthday party that weekend, which of course they had to cancel. So they were going to do it um, online and like screen share so that way her and all of her friends could um, do this escape room for her birthday party. So it's it's been really neat the different ways people are, are using it. Um, another organization said that they were going to use it as a team building activity. The Harry Potter world has taken over for Sydney who is focusing on developing the escape room rather than building another one. 
but she's put details of how people can create their own ones online. The tutorial can be found at their website, ptlibrary.org. And for anyone who wants to go at her escape room, she has a couple of tips. Without, without giving too much away, I highly recommend having like a spare sheet of paper uh, nearby, maybe even a calculator. And the way it currently stands is you might need to brush up on your U.S. geography. Um, for the international versions we're making, I'm actually changing the last puzzle from a U.S. map to a world map to make it a little less specific to the United States. But uh, if you don't get it the first time, there's a little hint after each one to help maybe guide you in the right direction. So don't give up and just have fun. So Harry Potter fans. Get online, search for the Hogwarts Digital Escape Room and test your muggle knowledge. That was Sydney Crack, who created a Harry Potter escape room to make us smile during the lockdown. Keep listening to Source FM for more good news stories. This is the Source News Show, sharing positive ideas in the lockdown. to Source FM and I'm Kira Taylor from Falmouth University Journalism. This is a song from Harry Glasson, sung by Will Keating and his daughters over Facebook to keep people smiling during the lockdown. Until the Lord calls me to sit at his hand for this is my Eden and I'm not Raising Spirits by Raising Voices, one Facebook group in Falmouth called Voices of the Borough, has started the lockdown tradition of singing Cornwall My Home every Thursday night. They've been joined by Will Keating. He described how he got involved. Uh, I originally was tagged into one of the original posts of the idea, and uh, what uh, one of the organisers wanted to do was use a recording of me singing Cornwall My Home uh, that I did at the, uh, the Alberton Hotel. So uh, I contacted them and said, uh, yes, of course you can use it. Um, and then uh, a day later, I started thinking and thought, well, why don't we live stream it? So I contacted them and said, if you like, I could do it live. And they said, yeah, we'd be more than happy to. Will's four daughters help him out to create the live stream from their balcony in Falmouth. It's been viewed around the world and it's something he says his family will never forget. Also, my daughters were uh, involved as well. Four of my daughters, so I've got four daughters. So they came and they came and sang with me, called my home as well. So that was nice. So I got a lot of nice feedback about that. Uh, my, one of my daughters was in control of uh, of what's happening technical-wise. So she was telling me how many people there were. Um, and I'd already done uh, a couple of live-streamed uh, gigs anyway, because uh, I'm a full-time musician. Um, but no, it's really exciting. And what's lovely is that the fact that there's people from all over the world. Uh, and since then, we've been in contact with people uh, in New York, uh, people in New Zealand, uh, who've you know uh, react, uh, interacted with us and sent us, sent me and the daughters, jigsaw, online jigsaws and all sorts. So it's been lovely. The technology has, at points, been tricky to master. They go on air early to make sure the link is working properly. So, if you tune in around 7.45 on Thursday, you might catch a mini Will Keating concert as he plays some of his other songs to check the line. Will described why he's doing it. Uh, it's just a bit of fun, isn't it? And, and taking people away from the uh, their daily lives, if you like. Um, Cornwall My Home is such a... Um, 
evocative song. Um, and uh, and if you're Cornish, or you live in Cornwall, it's a song that you love. Um, so why not get out there and 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 sing it with everyone else and and uh, and feel some unity with the, with, the, with the neighbours, basically. For him, every response is brilliant. I think all the responses have been lovely. Uh, it's yeah, it's all been really really positive. Um, the fact that people are are seeing it and enjoying it. Um, you know, my job is is entertaining people uh, on a on a daily basis or weekly basis when I'm out gigging. Um, so it's something that I haven't been able to do uh, since I've been in lockdown. So it's um, yeah, it's just it's just getting that feedback of seeing people enjoy it and uh, and, and yeah, making making a difference. Tune into the Voices of the Borough Facebook page tonight around quarter to eight to hear Will's rendition of Call My Home before the clap for the NHS. He and his daughters say they have a surprise for viewers tonight. This is my and this is my I'm Kira Taylor from Falmouth University Journalism. Stay tuned for more coronavirus stories from Source FM. If you'd like to contribute your story or thoughts to be broadcast on the radio, you can now record or upload messages via our website. To do so, please visit www.thesourcefm.co.uk forward slash connect. Source FM, helping our community stay connected. Listening to the Source FM's weekly news summary Stories to warm your heart during the lockdown. Brought to you by the Source FM news team in association with Falmouth University Journalism.